This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover four different books. These are books that I read during the month of September, and actually one of them that I am, am still reading, but I've gotten through the majority of it. So a little different uh, episode where I, usually I'm taking one book and, and digging in a little deeper. This time, I'm going to cover four books and, and just hit the surface of each one. I didn't think any of these warranted a full episode, but wanted to let you know what I've been reading lately and then also go go through kind of the top level why I chose the book for my 2019 reading list and then a few thoughts for each book. So I'll start off with Small Fry. This is by Lisa Brennan Jobs. It's a memoir and Jobs, the last part of her last name, is Steve Jobs. She is Steve Jobs's daughter and unfortunately unacknowledged daughter for many years, as in Steve Jobs never acknowledged her as his daughter. Uh, he eventually did, and, um, and and I knew that going into this because I'd read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs and knew that that, uh, that was part of his history that was, that was really troubling. Uh, he, t- he took like a DNA test to see if he, w- if he was the father, and he, there's 95% that he was, and he would still deny it. And he never married the the mother of Lisa. Uh, he he married another woman later later on. But um, so they they had this child out of wedlock, and then he just never acknowledged that it was actually his daughter. But but it 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 was, and he would not acknowledge her like like in front of her, while she was a, a kid growing up. And he would have a photo of her that he carried in his wallet. He would pull out this photo at at parties. And he would say, hey, this, this isn't my daughter, but I'm just kind of being nice and I'm helping to take care of her. And so each chapter of this book kind of goes through a different part of her childhood. I, uh, and it, it's just devastating because you're seeing how she's being treated by Steve Jobs. And for me, I, I've always looked up to Steve. And so it, it, I guess it's hard to see this other side of him, just a, a very cruel side of him. And, and in fact, for most of this book, I couldn't decide whether it was delightfully disturbing the book or if it was disturbingly delightful. I mean, there's just so many disturbing parts, but then it was also a delight to read. Uh, Lisa does, does an amazing job of writing and, and you, you feel like you're there, you, f- you feel you're a part of it. Uh, but it's also devastating. And, and the end of each chapter would just be something that either her mother or her father had said or some circumstance that, that's just, you don't know how she continues on, but but she does. And that that's the power of this book is she just continues on and she keeps going. And she winds up at, at Harvard. Uh, she has success in her life. And, and even though Steve Jobs is not happy about that success and he treats her poorly, uh, she becomes her own, her own woman. And it, 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 so it's this coming of age story, uh, in, in really difficult circumstances. And yet she, she navigates this periods of intense joy and, and crippling sorrow. So I, I, I enjoyed this one. I gave it five stars out of five. And I also came across, a. a 
quote that she had written about this book. And, and I want to read that and then, and then just share a few thoughts. So here, here's uh, Lisa Brennan's quote. This is not in the book, but it's uh, something she said afterward. I still chuckle at the thought that someone might have picked up Small Fry, assuming it was a celebrity mem- memoir, and then, to their surprise, found a reflection of their own childhood in the pages. Or they picked it up assuming it, it was about a famous man, only to be swept up by the story of a girl. End quote. I, this struck me as weird because uh, it, it is her story, but it is absolutely the story about Steve Jobs as well. It's it's the story of that famous man that uh, that she she referenced in that quote, and it, it's the story of the devastating impact he had on those closest to him. Uh, in in the the book after Steve Jobs dies, she she mentions mentions being at different events and I think even maybe his his uh, his funeral and, and people coming up to her and saying, you know, he was like a father figure to me and he was always so nice and, and all this and. And that just striking her as so sad and, and odd because here she was his daughter and, and for most of her life he he didn't treat her as a daughter. So if you have a very high uh, view of Steve Jobs, this this uh, this book will take that take that down a few notches. I th- I think this would be a great one to read along with the Walter Isaacson book and then also along with uh, Creativity Inc by Ed Catmell, because that, that goes more into the, the business side of, of Steve, uh, Ed CEO at Pixar and, uh, Steve Jobs helped found Pixar. And so the two of them worked together for many years, whereas Isaacson just knew Steve at the very end of his, his life and, and, and wrote about, wrote about him from, from interviews and, and from talking to Steve a lot. But, um, but Ed Catmell kind of gives you many, many years of, of seeing a lot of different sides of, of Steve. So those three books together are a great overview of Steve. This one is the most devastating one. This one's Small Fry, uh, but also a great memoir and one that, that I, I really enjoyed. It's, it's been one of my favorite books uh, from my 2019 reading list. Next up is The Monk of Mocha by Dave Eggers. You ever heard of the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Well, I walked into a bookstore here in Nashville called Parnassus Books, and I saw this book on the bookshelf. And I liked the cover, and I actually bought this book because of its cover. I also know the author, uh, Dave Agger. I don't know him personally, but I've, I've read another book of his, The Circle, which is kind of like uh, what would happen, it's a, a fiction book, but what would happen if, if Google and um, Facebook and, and Twitter, what if they all combined into one company? And then what if that kind of went to into dystopia kind of realms? And uh, so that, that, that book was really fascinating. I, I believe they have made it into a movie or they are going to. Uh, but that that was another one. So I, I knew Dave Eggers from that book, and I enjoyed that book. And so I saw this book, uh, and, and really, the cover is all I knew about it. The title was intriguing, The Monk of Mocha, and I figured mocha probably had something to do with coffee, but I didn't know. And so I didn't, I actually, when I added this to my list, and, and even 
when I was getting re- ready to read it, I didn't know if this book was fiction or nonfiction. And again, I totally judged it by its cover, and it turned out to be phenomenal. I, I loved it. It, it, was, uh, it. it was a fantastic book. And so what, what this book is, is uh, Dave Eggers tells the story of a man named Mok- Mokhtar Alkanshali, who is a Yemeni-American who in the mid-2010s, so you know, in this past decade, he, he's, it's a coming-of-age story. He's, he, this man's living in San Francisco, and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. And he, as he looks back at his heritage, and then also as at his family heritage, he starts noticing a common tread. Through his family heritage, coffee has been a part of that. And then as he gets to know more about Yemen history, he starts to realize the importance of coffee to that history. So I, I not, don't know if you've heard the, the goat story of, of coffee that, uh, that a farmer in Ethiopia, this, this is apparently how coffee was discovered. A farmer in Ethiopia uh, is, is herding his goats and the goats, all of a sudden, this one night they, they're eating this fruit and then they don't go to sleep. So he's kind of curious, so he, he figures out what, what the fruit is, and, and it turns out to be the, uh, the coffee tree. And the, there are beans in, uh, in this fruit, and uh, they're, they're, they're eating the, the fruit and then, and then the bean part of it. And, uh, and then that's keeping them awake. And so the story goes that this farmer then uh, started getting into the beans, and, and then coffee was, was uh, born from that. But uh, Yemen is kind of... Uh, so that happened in Ethiopia, and then Yemen was uh, where coffee cultivation really took off. And then there, there's a city in Yemen called Mocha, and that is a port city. And so a lot of the coffee would get would get shipped to other parts of the world out of Mocha. So we hear Mocha a lot now. I mean, if you go into any uh, any coffee shop, they have drinks that are called Mocha and that sort of thing. But um, there is actually a city in Yemen, and and there's a a port a port city. And so Yemen has been a, a very uh, coffee has been very important to the history of Yemen. And so as, uh, as Mokhtar is, is getting to know this history, he has this desire to go to Yemen and find some farmers who are, are cultivating coffee and then, and then buy from them and export it to the United States for kind of the specialty coffee market. And it's a great idea. Here's the problem. Yemen is in the midst of being overrun by Al-Qaeda, Houthi rebels who are connected to Iran, and a Saudi-led coalition of bombers. So Mokhtar goes into Yemen while all this is going on. And so what the book ends up becoming is, is like this Indiana Jones type adventure story uh, where Mokhtar is weaving through warlords and terrorists to obtain this holy grail of, of, of coffee with, with an excellent rating uh, that he can sell in the, in the United States. Like he, he wants the, this export market to boom so that these farmers get taken care of, uh, they, they can make more money, um, and then, and then get, get some of the best coffee in the world to, to uh, specialty coffee places in the United States. And so that's what this book is, is about. And it's fascinating because uh, Dave Eggers takes you through the history of coffee itself, how it went from Ethiopia to Yemen 
to how it ended up in the in Dutch hands and French hand, hands, and how the Dutch and French, with their uh, as as colonial powers, how they grew coffee in different regions of the world, and and then how how we get our coffee from mostly from those places now, and and um, so that history, and then also the history of Yemen, and really a lot of the recent history of of Yemen. So that was really fascinating. And, and just how all this ties together. So Dave Eggers basically, I guess, kind of traveled around with, with Mokhtar and, um, and, and was around him while, while he was doing this. Uh, Mokhtar during this time also became the, basically the equivalent of a, of a wine sommelier for, for coffee. So he, it's like you have the best tongue. And he was the first Arab man to, to ever get that qualification for coffee. Uh, so... Just an amazing story. You learn so much, and, and it's things that I, I'm really interested in. I, I love coffee. Uh, I've, I, I, yeah, I just I love coffee. My my wife and I met at a at a coffee shop, um, and and so just learning about coffee that was cool. Learning about Yemen, a country I didn't really know much at all about, other than it was being bombed by Saudi Arabia all the time now, um, and and then import export. Uh, History of Coffee, just a fascinating book. Now, again, the reason is I I saw the cover and I liked the cover and and luckily this ended up being a a fantastic book. Tim Ferriss often asks his guests on the podcast, what is your favorite book? But then he takes it a step further and says, what is your most gifted book? As in, what book have you gifted to people? What, What book have you given to people. And I, I love that distinction because you can have a favorite book. You can have books that you've really enjoyed reading, but perhaps you don't know anyone else who would enjoy that, or you you don't like it enough to actually put your reputation on the line in, in the sense of giving somebody a book and saying, I think you're really going to like this. With The Monk of Mocha, I've already bought this book for three people, and I just finished reading it on September 25th. So that's eight days ago. I've already bought this book for three people. And there are three people who are in the coffee industry in, in some way or another. And and so I, I just figured that they would really enjoy the book. And and for the people that have bought it, they uh they had, at least one of them had heard of of the of the book and heard about this guy and, and his uh his Yemen coffee. Uh and he had really wanted to read it and just ne- had never gotten around to to buying the book. But that really tells me something when when there is a book where I immediately want to get it for for other people. So I might start keeping two lists. I, I do keep a running list of of the order of the books in the sense of how much I like them, and that's really what it is. It's it's the number one book on that list is going to be the one that either surprised me the most or that delighted me or the one I enjoyed the most. And so that that's really the list. It's not a list of like this is the best literature and uh the best you know it, it it referenced all these works of ancient poetry and stuff like that like i'm not that smart so i just go by what i enjoy and so that's one list but i, I need to start keeping another list too of of either how many people i told about the the book or how many people i actually bought it for um because in, in the words of uh of Taleb and, and skin in the game by buying a book for somebody, I it, it's almost putting some skin in the game there because if I buy a book for somebody and they don't like it, uh, well, let me flip it around. If somebody buy, if somebody gives me a book and I don't like it, I don't trust that person with book recommendations from that point forward. 
I okay, I might give him grace and and let him uh, refer an, an, another few books. But if if they've spent ten or fifteen bucks to buy me a book, and then it's either a terrible book or I'm just kind of thinking, why why did you get this for? This is horrible. Uh, it puts their reputation on the line. And then I don't want to ever hear a book recommendation from them again. And so for, for me to give somebody a book, it, it's, it's a, a skin in the game type of thing where there's reputation on the line of, I, I want people to, to trust my book suggestions. And so if I'm buying a book for them, it, I, I want them to like it. I, I believe in this book enough is, is what I'm getting at here that I was willing to buy it for three people and three people. I, uh, well, one lives here in Nashville, the other two in Atlanta, the two in Atlanta, I haven't seen in, in, in many years. And so it, it, it was kind of a, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while, but I thought you might like this book. I'm just sending it, just send me your address and, and I'll get it to you. So, uh, all that to say, if you like coffee, if you're interested in the history of coffee, if you're interested in the history of Yemen, if you're interested in hearing a amazing coming-of-age story to the point where a man, the Mokhtar Alkanshali, works in a building as the doorman and eventually lives in that building, that kind of a coming-of-age uh, entrepreneurial success story, this is your book. It, it went by very fast like it's it's a it's a it's a relatively quick read and a fascinating read I, I loved it in this final segment I'll cover the the other two books that I want to talk about the first one is my uh, book 40 of 52 for this year and it's fit for life by Harvey Diamond and Marilyn Diamond, his wife, also writes uh, the second part of the book. So Harvey writes the first part, which is kind of the the, the basis for a, a, a new way of, of looking at food. It's not, it's not necessarily a diet. It's just more, well, here's the tagline. The natural body cycle, permanent weight loss plan that proves it's not what you eat, but when and how. And... So that's the first part of the book. The second part by his wife is more recipes and, and, and ways to implement this in your life. And there's one reason I wanted to read this book. Well, well maybe maybe two, but, but one main one. And that's because Jesse Itzler, the author of Living with a Seal, highly recommends this book. And Jesse Itzler, for the past 20 plus years, has only eaten fruit until noon. So from the time that he wakes up until noon, he only eats fruit. And if you follow him on social media, you'll see he's got like huge boxes of, of bananas that he orders and, and he just flies through these. And, and that's what he's done. He's only eaten fruit until noon. And I've never ever heard of anyone doing that. And so I was curious about it. And, and so that was the main reason I wanted to, to read this book. It just to see kind of the logic behind why they suggest doing that. The, uh, a second um, a second reason for reading the book is that I, I like to read at least one nutrition or health related book per year, and I also like to experiment with what I read in these books. Uh, I, I'm a runner, and I, I I like seeing if there are ways that by changing what I eat, I can become a better runner. Uh, so I've experimented with different things. I've tried uh, in in 
two, two years ago in, in 2017, I tried an all-fat diet uh, that I read about in Natural Born Heroes. That was not a nutrition book, but it, they were talking about this this all-fat diet and, and like good fats of, of, of meat and avocados and, and things like that, and then mixing that with vegetables and and uh, and basically just cutting out sugar and 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 focusing on on good fats. Uh, the idea being that your body would start to burn that fat instead of of burning carbs. And if you're burning fat on a, a, a long run, like maybe a marathon, then you would have more longevity than you would just kind of burning through this these carbs. So that was the idea. I t- I, I tested it. I mean, it was like a two week test. And so it was interesting to see what happened, how it impacted my running, how it impacted my weight, all that kind of thing. So I, I, I just like to do this every now and then where I'm reading different things about nutrition and, and implementing and experimenting and seeing how, how I feel, how it impacts my running and, and going from there. So that's why I picked up this book. It was written in 1985 though. And when I told my wife that she laughed so hard because, you know, we're, we're learning so much about nutrition all the time. And so for it to be a book that's, uh, that many years old, she's like, so it's what they were thinking back then was so wrong. And, and, and that, and so it, that was kind of funny, but, um, but before I read this book, I didn't go online to learn more about it. I didn't go to see if, if things had been completely proved wrong by this point, I just really went into it with an open mind and let, let's see what I can learn. Let's experiment with some of these things and then, and then see, because we're all different. We all have different bodies. I mean, a a lot, a lot that's, that that's the same, that is, is good or bad for in terms of what we eat, what we put in our bodies, but we, we all react to it in, in different ways. And so, uh, especially if, if, if we're doing different exercise routines, that kind of thing, uh, our bodies may need different things or more of something, less of something. And so I, I, I always like to experiment with that. So I, I did learn about this uh, eating fruit until noon and, and, and why. And, and if you're interested, you can pick up the book and, and find out why. Uh, they also have this idea in there of uh, if you're going to eat like a meat or something to, to combine that uh, with a, a vegetable, but to not combine it with like other foods. Um, and so just to kind of have two things paired instead of multiple and basically th- this idea, like with Thanksgiving dinner, uh, you have that dinner and then you either at the end, like you just want to die or you, you, uh, you want to lay on the couch and, and sleep and watch football. Um, they say it's cause there's so many different things you put in your body that are competing in the digestion and acids and all that stuff that are trying to break it down. Um, so a lot, a lot in this book in that sense. And I, I did look up after I read it, I did look up more of the reviews of it. And I, I mean, it's gotten blasted by nutritionists and, um, they, they say it's, it's kind of a load of crap, but, uh, still I, I wanted to, to read it. I wanted to see why Jesse Isler did fruit till noon. And then I, I wanted to try. So since I, I finished this book, uh, I finished it couple weeks ago. I have tried a few different things, uh, especially with the fruit, uh, maybe just taking one meal per day and, and, and trying to have that be mostly fruit or, or all fruit or, or fruit mixed with, with nuts. And it has been interesting. Uh, I, I feel really good. I, I like, there's this clean feeling after you, after you eat fruit like that. Um, but there's also the other 
line of thinking on that and that that's too much sugar at one time, you're kind of shocking your body. And so why would you do that? But, uh, I, I, I felt good when I've done it. Uh, I've lost some weight, which I've noticed has helped on my morning runs. I'm not carrying as much weight. I mean, there's some stat where, um, each pound you lose, uh, gains a, a certain amount of time in the, in the marathon. Like you have less time, uh, running the marathon for each pound that you lose. So, and any extra weight you're carrying around, especially on long runs, it, it does, it does add up. So, um, yeah, I'll just kind of keep experimenting with this. And, uh, again, n- none of these nutrition books are, are the end all be all. Uh, I don't want to go too crazy with it, but I, I do like experimenting and, um, and, and seeing how I feel and then seeing how that impacts my running. So the final book here that I want to highlight is called Franklin, Tennessee's Handsomest Town. This is book 42 of 52 for my reading list this year. I started it on September 26th, and uh, I'm recording this October 3rd, and I'll probably finish it this weekend. So I'm the majority of the way through it. But Franklin, Tennessee is a city that I live very close to. I'm, I'm just about 15 minutes south of Franklin, Tennessee. And Franklin is like small town America, and there's a main street. Uh, you each their their stores on main street uh they're they're just two stories high two or three stories high um kind of behind main street you you start getting into more residential and it's just this quaint town you feel like you've stepped back at least 50 years uh it's even even more and then uh franklin always has festivals going on it's very family friendly like you'll see grandparents with their kids and then the grandkids and they're all together. Um, and the festivals, they always have things for kids to do. And it's just a, it's a place that attracted my wife and I to Tennessee. We moved from Atlanta a couple of years ago and Franklin was like the reason and we couldn't afford to live in Franklin or even near Franklin. Uh, so we're 15 minutes away, but we do have a desire at some point in our lives to, to be closer to the Franklin area. Franklin was also a very important battlefield in the the Civil War. Uh, 10,000 soldiers were killed uh, in in this Battle of Franklin in in a matter of of just a few hours. And so this book goes into that history. Uh, It it starts at the beginning. It actually starts before the beginning of the founding of the city in in, uh, the different Indian tribes that lived here. And and then just goes into the founding of the city, uh, the Civil War... And the chapter I just read was really fascinating. It was uh, uh, in the 1930s, uh, a, a lady getting her doctorate did a, her dissertation on three different Tennessee towns. And she went, I mean, she went so deep into these towns. And so they reprinted her dissertation that was part for Franklin uh, in this last chapter that I just read. And it was so fascinating because it was like from the 1930s. And she's talking about things like how much water pressure is in the fire hydrants and where does the water even come from? And how is, how are, how is the, how was segregation at that point in the 1930s in, in the small town, Franklin? Um, why are the houses close to the street? Well, it turns out that uh, at that time they would plant some crops and, and have a garden in the backyard. And so you would put the, the house close to the front and then you'd have this ex- expansive backyard to, to do some of that uh, gardening and, and crops. Um, so just, I'm learning about uh, Franklin, this, this city that I love. And it's, it's a book that covers the history mostly from 1799 to 1999. Um, and so I, 
the reason I, t- I chose the book is because I, I do like having at least one book on my list each year that's about the local area that I live. Uh, when I lived in Atlanta, I I would travel to uh, I would travel overseas and and I was always reading books about the places I was going, and I never not until later. I, I would never read about Atlanta. And then at some point I read a, a history book about Atlanta and it was, it was so fascinating. It's like, I've been there here this whole time. I could have been, I could have seen where these things happened and I just never did. I was always more concerned about uh, other places, but I, I, I really want to know about the place where I live and I want to be reading at least one book a year that, that covers that. So last year I read a book about Nashville, but it was from a business perspective. And so what are the businesses that built Nashville? And these are the businesses that led to country music being a central part of Nashville, um, the different industries that have been here, why they were here, uh, that kind of thing. And then even how that leads to modern day, uh, the companies that are that are in Nashville. So that was fascinating. And then this year, uh, this, this Franklin book, I just wanted to highlight one thing that from this book that, that I've learned that, um, I've, I've just been th- thinking about a lot lately. And that's for, for that battle of Franklin. Um, if I, I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes, but I, I did another episode this year of, of a book ca- called widow of the South. And that, that was a fiction, uh, historical fiction book about the battle of Franklin. And, so I, I learned a lot about the Battle of Franklin in, in that book. Even though it was fiction, it was a lot of what actually happened and, and people that that were generals and that sort of thing. So I learned about the, a lot about the battle there. But um, one thing I've learned in this Franklin book is that there was a... Uh, so at the edge of, of the city limits of Franklin is the Harpeth River. And the Harpeth was... The, there was a bridge that went over that, and that bridge was destroyed a few years before the Battle of Franklin took place. So what happened was uh, the Union Army and the Confederate Army were both in and around Spring Hill, which is where I live now, Spring Hill, Tennessee. And this was the night of November 29th, 1864. The Union Army marched up towards Franklin during that night. And the Confederates had no idea. And so that took the Confederates by surprise. So now the Union Army is in Franklin, and they're halfway, Franklin's halfway between Nashville and Spring Hill. So by the Union being in Nashville, now the Confederates have to go and they have to follow them. And uh, the Union is entrenched in Franklin at this point. And so that's the kind of the setup for the battle. But the Union was actually headed towards Nashville and they were going through Franklin, but they couldn't get past the Harpeth River with all the horses and all the equipment and, and all that because that bridge was out. And that, a lot of reasons the battle happened in Franklin, but that was one of the biggest reasons is they just couldn't get across the river. And so uh, it almost forced the battle to take place right there. Franklin at that point was a town of 2,000 people and 10,000 people died in that battle. I mean, can you just imagine uh, you know, these people 
a lot of, especially the younger kids would, would go into the cellar of the houses during the, the battle. And so they could hear all the sounds that, you know, the house is rattling with uh, the cannons and, and, and all that. And, and, and then they come out and the whole ground is littered with dead soldiers to the point where you couldn't hardly walk. You would have to walk on dead soldiers to, to get around. And just to think that, uh, you know, this lack of, of, of a bridge not being there, that, that was one part that kind of kept everybody within Franklin and, and, and then kept the, um, made it so that the battle would happen, happen there. But also I did just uh, mention this book as well because I, I, I want to encourage you to read books about the area in which you live. It just, it really enhances your appreciation uh, en- enhances the history. Uh, there's roads I travel every day that had a big part to play in the Civil War. Uh, going into Franklin, I, I'm going in there tomorrow morning uh, to Franklin. And just to, to think that, you know, a major battle took place here. Now to, to go along these streets in Franklin and, and to, to know a lot more, not just the Civil War, this book covers many years. And so to to learn more about the buildings I, I enjoy there and, and when they came about, uh, the, the companies that have been in Franklin, the people that have called Franklin home, uh, the, the form of governance, all these kind of things. It, it just makes it, makes it that much more enjoyable. So I, I want to encourage you to, to pick up books about uh, the area in which you live so that you, you, get to know, you get to know the area where you are. That's going to do it for this episode. Um, Again, I, I usually cover one book per, per episode, but um, just wanted to highlight a, a few books of, uh, and ones that I've been reading lately just to give a, a quick overview of, of each of these. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, my email address is eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric with a K, so E-R-I-K, and then booksoftitans.com. You can also follow Books of Titans at Books of Titans on Instagram and Twitter, the website, I, I, I have so many resources on, on the website to help you find the best books, to find out what uh, some of the world's top performers are reading, the books that they've credited with their success, uh, the books that they've enjoyed the most, and also the ones that they have, have gifted the most. I have a, a full list of, of all books ever discussed on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast on, on, on my website, on the Books of Titans website. It's searchable. You can, you can search by author. You can search by a guest on, on the Ferris Show podcast. Uh, so just a lot of resources, uh, also some resources to, to help you read more, um, to, to create your own reading list and to go through that. So now is an excellent time. It's beginning of October. Uh, we're, we're in the last three months here of the year. Now is a great time to begin thinking about what you're going to read in 2020 or, or in the following year and to start put, putting that list list together. Uh, I find that when I plan my list out, I end up getting through a lot more books. I actually am able to double the amount of books that I read just by really planning it out and, and having a, a, a order and, and everything uh, going into the new year. So I, I have a lot of resources to help you with those things on, on the website. Uh, also love if, if you could leave a review of the podcast. Uh, you can just do that in, in iTunes and that, that helps more people hear about the podcast because iTunes algorithm will move things up if, if it gets a lot of good reviews. So I, I would appreciate that as well. I'll be back next week with another book. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.